Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us today on this special Q&A podcast uh, all about relationships. My name is Riley, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I'm in the studio right now with Nate Holdridge and his wife Christina Holdridge, and we're talking about marriage today. What we're trying to do through this episode is answer some questions that maybe you even have texted in or DM'd us about, all about marriage. And we're just going to do our best to respond to what you're asking about right now. So today we're talking about what is love? How do you handle conflict in marriage? And we actually get a little sneak peek into the origin story of Nate and Christina and their marriage and their relationship. It's a great conversation. I hope you're blessed by it. Let's jump right in. Nate and Christina, thank you guys so much for being here. This is so fun to be able to be in the studio talking about this. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Riley. So just so everybody knows, you guys have three daughters. And I'm just curious, on a day-to-day basis, how often would you estimate that you're talking about relationships in your home? Oh, man. (laughs) A lot. Yeah, I mean... if you're asking how often are we talking about like romantic relationships, okay, you know, yeah. they're, they're not as desirous of getting into those conversations with us, <laughs> no. you know, although we will push that, but, uh, you know, there's a relational dynamic totally. that we're constantly working on. That is yeah, like an every day, all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in every conversation somehow. Yeah. Yes. How to treat a friend, how to treat a sister, how to treat a parent, how to navigate, you know, difficult people that are in authority in their lives the right perspectives to have it's constant I mean like you're I was listening to a book the other day where he was talking about family is your first experience living in community living Mm -hmm. learning how to love your neighbor as yourself it's like yep that's what you're doing when you're in a family you're it's like relationship 101 it's a crazy lab yeah. <laughs> Where like mad scientists, you are experimenting yeah. on how to do relationships well. That is so true. And if there's one thing that our girls have go- are going to have going for them in the future, should the Lord give them husbands at some point in the future, they will know how to communicate. <laughs> they, They've been trained. They have been they trained, have been trained encouraged, up. admonished, chastened, disciplined, extolled, praised, for communication that is true both of us are teachers so we like to communicate so they've they've learned the value of communication yeah that is so yeah. great so three girls at home how long have you guys been married for now I'm trying almost to 20 years coming okay. up on 20 years this uh 2022 yeah the big two zero mm-hmm. that's amazing yeah and how long if you guys can remind me how long were each of you single before you got married. Like at what age did you guys get married at? We were yeah. 23 when we got married. Right. Mm-hmm. So we were single for 23 years. <laughs> yep. I was six. I was single. I think. <laughs> I wasn't going around with any boys yet. <laughs> oh, I love it. Got married. You guys were both 23, though. 23, yeah, both All of right. us. Yeah, I always remember because uh, when we started dating, I had a, uh, I, I had a CD collection that was in my car a compact disc for the listener yeah that's how we listen to our music and i didn't have very much music that i felt was date worthy you know like just driving around with this girl uh it was just a little harder stronger kind of music that i listened to while i was on my own but i did have one album it was an ep a six song album i think by the band Starflyer 59. Oh, there you go. And he had a song called Fell in Love at 22. And we were 22 years old and we were dating. I was like, oh man, this would be so apropos. Whoa, I don't think I knew that. I knew the Starflyer. Yeah, it was a real good, it's a great song. Yeah, okay. It sounds prophetic to me. I don't know, but man, (laughs) that's great. So, I mean, you guys had experience being unmarried for, you know, 23 years. Yeah, all through college. And yeah. after, yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit after. And now you're kind of entering into a phase where you've almost been married for as long as you were unmarried. I bet that's a trip. It is. We actually talk about that a lot. Like, we're almost there. We've almost been married as long as we were single. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We're, kind of, we're creeping up because we met each other at, I think we were 21. 21. When we began uh, being friends. So 
we've had now over half our lives where we've known each yeah. other, which is kind of a trip. But yeah, we're right. getting close to that yeah. halfway Dang. mark. Lots of experience, lots of stories, I'm sure. And uh, man, it's just so fun to be able to talk with you guys. Married for almost 20 years. It's incredible. So we're doing this whole podcast because, Nate, you've been taking us through this series through First uh, Peter on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And you got to this special part of First Peter chapter 3 talking about different relationships, wives with their husbands, husbands with their wives. We took a Sunday to talk all about dating. It's been a pretty epic series, if I'm being honest. It's been really fun. But during that whole part of the series, you're like, hey, let's talk about some questions. If you got questions, text them in. We'll talk about them, me and Christina, together. And so that's what this whole episode is about. But the series title has to do with living as exiles as Christians. So, you, you know, each teaching was like exile husbands, exile wives, exile dating. Can you kind of talk to us about that word exile and how it pertains to the, the Christian life, this series, and why it was important to kind of use that word with relationships? Yeah, you could almost mm-hmm. substitute for the word, word exile the phrase, we do things different. Totally. You know, that's really what it is. Peter talked to the church that he was writing to and by extension to us and he said you're exiles and you're sojourners you're Mm -hmm. pilgrims you're far from home you don't belong where you are like in the old testament the people of israel who had to go away and live in babylon they were exiles they were a culture inside of a culture a community inside of a community they did things differently they did not play by Nebuchadnezzar's rules, by the Babylonian rules. So they did not do life like the Babylonians. And I think that one of the major areas of life that Christians can demonstrate that they are different is in the realm of relationships. Mm -hmm. We should not be taking our cues from everybody else. We should Mm -hmm. not be like the general society or culture, which obviously doesn't have just one set of rules. There's lots of different games that people play lots of different rules that people out there are abiding by some of them look more christian than others or have biblical overtones attached to them and some of them have ditched the bible entirely but christians aren't to take their cues from that we're to take our cues from scripture so i kind of knew as i was going through first peter that you know as a church that exposits the word we don't do topical series very often if ever So the typical, you know, once a year marriage or dating or relationships series, we just don't have that. So when we come to a portion of scripture that is getting into it, it just feels appropriate to kind of slow down a little bit, take our time. And so to take the three weeks going through it to then have any questions that people wanted to ask, you know, bring them to us and then also have our marriage conference mixed in with all of that felt like a great little time for us to focus on uh, marriage and then even dating uh, as well the lead up potentially to marriage but yeah exiles it's just another way of thinking about being far from home we do things differently i love that we do things differently Mm -hmm. so solid Mm -hmm. i was actually gonna make a mention about that you mentioned the marriage conference if i just give a quick tiny little plug um if you're listening to this right now on the feed We have episodes from the marriage conference that we had recently. And one of the sessions was with Nate and Christina. And guys, I have to just tell you, if I just gas you up just real quick, that was an amazing session. I keep still thinking about that idea of wanting sanctification from someone else. Hmm. And that in marriage, that is like, it's the ground to where you find so much of that sanctification work happening. As your spouse speaks into your life, you speak into their life. And so if you get a chance, go back in the archive just a little bit. Listen to that message. It is powerful. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that kind of stuff today. But um, loved that conference. Loved this little series. And super excited now to get into these questions. So we got got a bunch of questions. We got questions about marriage. We got questions about dating. And so I thought we could start off with some of the marriage um, questions if you guys are down for that. Yeah. But first, we had a a comment from from a friend talking about the title of the series <laughs> yeah i know what you're thinking of yeah he was like 
Uh, what exile wives? Is that an instruction? Am I supposed to exile my wife? Just no. clear the air right now. No, <laughs> clear the air. Come on, he knew. He knew. He on, knew. Man. He knew. It's not a verb. A little cheeky there, but uh, no, we're not saying that you should exile your wife or exile your husband, or that you should. Uh, in the dating world, look for someone who is a political refugee as a potential mate. You should be open to that, but wow. you don't have to look for an exile <laughs> to marry. I also heard that one too. Like, was that me? are you talking about wives that are exiles? Literally? Wow. No. Going there. Did you hear the sermon? No, that's not what it's about. We're oh, in a man. series called The Grace of Exile. First Peter, read it. It's a great book. First comment, listen to the series. Now you can jump into this okay. conversation. Let's go. There we yeah, go. Here, here we go. go. Okay, first question um, is a big question, mm. but I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts about it. And it's, is love a choice? Is it a decision? Is it a choice? How would you guys define that? Well, I mean, I, I, you're making me go first. You, well, I, I, I'll go first. <laughs> I got I the eyes be, from Nate I that I... I wanted to be deferential <laughs> to you, you know? I, I okay. think both of us agree that it is a choice. It's absolutely a choice. But when you're talking about it in the context of marriage, a relationship, you know, um, it's it's a yes and no yeah. answer to me. Because yeah. when you're talking about it as Christian love, that is a choice. You I know, mean, when, we get to choose whether we want to love God or not. Exactly. We have a choice. Exactly. The there is a discipline of it, a decision that you're making, a daily pursuit of it yeah uh but sometimes it, you know it's, it's always hard to know what angle someone's coming from when they're asking a question you're just reading it kind of in, in black and white if i was in person with this question asker i'd i'd want to know are you talking about in relationships and everything because if what you're suggesting is there will be no emotions, no mm. desire as you're dating or something like that, mm. and you don't even really want to be in this relationship, but you're just considering, should I just choose to do it? Then I'd say, well, you know, this might not be the Lord leading you into that relationship. Uh, but inside the context of marriage, I mean, there are times where someone's feelings and emotions, they wane, they go away, they're not strong like they used to be. And there's a choice, there's a discipline, there's a decision that needs to be made. It is ridiculous for Christians to say things like, well, I just fell out of love as if it was some kind of accident. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if over a long period of time you're not treasuring your spouse, you can rest assured that the feelings of love are going to dissipate. Mm. So you've got to be treasuring them, you've got to be pouring into them, making a decision to love them with the hope and trust and belief that then your feelings are going to follow uh, the decision that you've made. Yeah, I can't say it any better. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have any examples of like what a love decision or a love choice looks like in just kind of day-to-day -day marriage? Hmm. Well, I love the story that you told at the marriage conference about the time where we were going through a stretch where you just had to decide. You, you didn't say it like I decided that I loved him. Right. But you I decided that I liked yeah, you. Exactly. I was trying to like you <laughs> at that point. It was the like part that well, was If you're married, there. you get that joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds so bad. Um, so, well, in that instance, we were going through a season where um, Nate was growing and changing a lot and being pressed in some new roles at his work. And I was growing and changing a lot and being pressed um, in my role as a new mom of two, um, or a mom of a second, an infant, and she was really challenging. And I, we were just kind of like constantly, I, I, it's not even that we were constantly fighting, it was that I didn't enjoy being with you. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't, the process of you changing and becoming who you were changing and becoming into, that was a good process for you to go through, but it was a hard process for me to be going through with you. I don't know if that <laughs> makes any sense. So on the, on the receiving end and not the finished end, but on the, on the processing part that I was the recipient of, it was just, it was hard and it was probably hard for you to be with me, but you say you don't remember it as well like that. Yeah. 
um, and my hormones were crazy and I wasn't getting enough sleep and all the things. So um, at that point, that wasn't an action point for me, like love is an action kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I just, I knew that I wanted to both like and love my husband. And so I needed to remind myself of the things that I liked about him. And even as he was changing and growing and maturing and I was being challenged by that, I wanted to be remind, I wanted to on the regular remind myself of who he was, the things I liked it up, the things I liked about him, the things I respected about him, the things I admired about him. And I kind of needed that as fresh ammo in my heart Mm. for the things that were challenging me Mm. about who you were at that time. So yeah, yeah, I kind of made a daily list or often in my quiet times, just like, Oh yeah, remember this? That's who he is. I like this about him. And I would just keep a little list going. Mm. So yeah, that's that. Very sorry for that time of your life. (laughs) No, it was good. (laughs) Who you ended up becoming was important and good and really valuable. It was just the process was hard. We had two little babies in the house at that time she her body's recovering from you know having our second daughter I was going through like a work crisis in one sense because the church was going oh, and had, family had gone through some yeah family kind of issues and uh, some difficult things in the in the church and then I was had to become all of a sudden overnight way more highly organized than I'd ever been professionally and I tapped into all these resources to get highly structured. And then I was losing a bunch of weight for the first time as an adult, learning how to care about nutrition and exercise. And so I'm getting in shape as she's not feeling in good shape. And, nope. but whenever I read like he was in like, you know, different personality profiles, you know, they'll kind of like frame who you are, whether it's like Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or whatever. And then they always give you like a here's a healthy version of that. And then here's like a really unhealthy <laughs> yeah. version of that. I was the unhealthy version of I'm a Enneagram one or I'm an INTJ Myers-Briggs. And when I, when I read the unhealthy versions, it's like, that was an unhealthy mm. time. I was trying to proselytize her to become like what oh. I was doing. I mean, it was just terrible. It you was know? Tough. And you just needed me at that point to kind of like survive with you because it was such a rough time of life. Yeah. But I think going back to that question, you know, is love a choice? Can we give any examples? I think it's like every day there are hundred times a tons day, tons of times yeah. where you're making a love choice. Yes, and where I'm, I know I'm making a love choice towards you. You're making a love choice towards me. So, like for instance, like I do not naturally want to just. Uh, you know, like when, when, when I share about what's going on inside of me or like what's happening with me, it's like, I want a long stretch of time that's uninterrupted where we can really get into it. And I do really enjoy that with her, but it's like, there are certain moments where it feels like the time is right. I want to do that now, but I know how valuable that is for us to stay very current And I also know how important it is for you to know what's going on with me. And like you, Mm -hmm. you care, you want to know, and you don't Mm -hmm. like being on the outs. So as much as I might want at certain times, you know, the day to just kind of like not really open up or tell you much about, you know, when you're like, how's it going? I just kind of want to be like, good. I got my next thing I got to do, but it's better for me to love you by talking a little bit about what's happening with me with the things yeah. that I'm doing mm-hmm. you know that's a decision of love but there's tons like that there's you know, so many more minor small things taking out the trash it to could the be, yeah yeah some of a day kind of yeah. thing yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah. yes I mean lo- it sounds like love is a choice there's also some romance that follows some of those decisions as well but there are, are obviously choices that you're making in marriage regularly show each other that you love each other yeah, yeah if, if a couple just kind of reacts to emotions right it reacts to times that they feel like serving the other person laying down their life for the other person sacrificing for the mm-hmm. other person you're just not going to feel that way all that often there's going to be plenty of times where you feel like 
self-love. That's what I want to do right now. I want to love myself. Yeah. And the more, whichever one you feed more, right? That whole concept of the more I feed my own desires and I serve myself and think about myself, the more I'm going to be absorbed in myself and think about myself and prioritize myself. The more often I'm trying to take you into consideration and make deliberate choices that are meaningful and valuable to you, even if they're contrary to what I like or want or think about, the more often I do that, then the more naturally that comes to me and then the more easily sort of the relationship flows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's great. So love, love is a choice oftentimes. Let's talk about expectations. I think that, you know, one thing that I noticed in my marriage when I got married was I brought all kinds of expectations mm. to the table and they were unrealistic. <laughs> they were, they were, a lot of them just weren't good and uh, we've had to work through those. But I think that a lot of us married couples bring that into marriage. We think it's going to be one thing and then oftentimes it's not. So the question here is how do I set realistic expectations for my marriage hmm. do you have any thoughts about that because a lot of times our expectations are not talked about they're kind of outlandish a lot of times we expect somebody to act a way that we've just never brought up mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen we get frustrated but i think that the heart of this question there's this idea that there are probably expectations that you just got to have that are realistic and mm-hmm. like standards almost like we, we do need to yeah. meet some standards so what are some of those kind of expectations that we should have? Right. I feel like first you have to think about, I mean, we're going to talk about realistic expectations. That's mm-hmm. like the adjective there. But I think you have to remember like any expectation that you're going to set for your marriage, you have to root it, base it all from scripture mm-hmm. because we're living in the world we're consuming the culture of the world whether we're trying to or not and so um the way that our the culture around us sort of can influence the expectations that we have on our relationships and especially on marriage i i don't even think we're very often perceptive to that Mm -hmm. and so i think it's really important to scale back and like if you're aware of an expectation that you have in marriage to first consider is this even biblical is this even fair that i would expect this there Mm. are realistic expectations and there are things that maybe like just between a couple they're going to talk about and like set as an expectation specifically for them but i think the first starting point is is this expectation that i have even biblical then move on from there and say okay now is it realistic you know and and maybe that's more of like the nuanced how this Mm. expectation kind of like um, is lived out or looks like on the day to day. But yeah, that, I would say that that's your starting point. Yeah. You, if you are not intentional about shaping your expectations, then you will bring expectations into the marriage that are off. They might be too high. They might be too low. They might just have nothing to do with reality. You know, for instance, you could have too high of an expectation if, for example, you grew up in a home where your parents provided really nice vacations for you many times a year, and yet you're entering into marriage now with that expectation. Scripture doesn't say that's a requirement for a husband and wife, doesn't say it's a requirement for a family. So if you don't talk about it, then probably you're just going to have that as your default Mm -hmm. expectation. So I would say that's probably too high of an expectation. But you could also come into marriage with an expectation that's too low. Uh, For instance, if you grow up in a family where your father was incredibly non-communicative and didn't know how to uh, praise or affirm or Mm -hmm. listen or be engaged in any meaningful way with the people in his family, uh, you might have a real low expectation. And if the guy just does anything that is more than that, you feel so happy and the bar is too low for him. So you could have too low of an expectation. So that's why scripture is so important. It's kind of helps you redefine what the expectations are. Then I'd say 
you're, you're shaping the expert expectation with scripture and then you're shaping your expectations also with community. You know, we were just sitting with a young couple yesterday who, you know, sweet young couple, they love Jesus. They're thinking about their future. Should we be married? Should we not be married? And one of the things Christina and I were trying to express to them is you don't even know what you don't know. You don't even know what questions to ask because you've not been there. So you need to tap into your community, the Christian community, to help you shape what a good, godly, right, biblical expectation should be in marriage. And then you shape your expectations, not just with scripture and community, but through tons of communication and dialogue together. I think one of the best things that we did when we were engaged was go through our church's premarital counseling program. And there were just so many times where they forced us to talk about things that we didn't even know we needed to talk about. But it was, hey, let's, you know, on a big list, you know, like, let's talk about cleaning the bathroom. How's that going to happen yeah. in your house? I'm feeling these- a little bad right now because Riley went into marriage with all these expectations, <laughs> but we did Riley's premarital I counseling. Know, yeah, that's so true. Because I was going to say the whole thing about like in your premarital counseling, I hope you address Still, this if you're not married. Terrible but what, what did we do wrong? <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys couldn't We're dig that deep. Oh, Nobody man. could dig that deep no. in my heart. <laughs> okay. Man. Okay. They were like okay. guinea pigs for us. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> No, I agree. Yeah, you got to talk about it. I, I, um, I just think that's so important. And then maybe this isn't how you. Well, no, I think this is part of how you set realistic expectations. Your goal in marriage is not what I want to get out of this. Right. You know, the the idea that we're supposed to model that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Um, that is like played out. Um, in all kinds of ways every day in marriage. And so you have to think about your expectations and communicate your expectations, but you have to consider, are my expectations something that are so that I'm getting something out of this? What, how can I, does that fit in with this model with my role as serving, not the person who's supposed to be being served, you know? Um, so I think that that has a lot to do with our expectations. Cause I, I think a lot of times unfair, unrealistic, probably usually on the too high of, um, an expectation. Those things come from the desire to be served. What am I getting out of this? How is this person treating me? How is this person making me feel? Um, rather than what can I do to love, support, serve the other person? So, yeah, it's kind of like when you're entering into marriage, if you retain a, we are two people and we're in a contract now together, an agreement that we've made to as two people proceed together in life, then you're bound to bring expectations into the marriage that are a defense of the self. Mm. But if you enter into the marriage with a view that we're making a covenant together and now we're one, we're one flesh, it kind of helps you when you get confronted with an expectation that is about the self and self-preservation. Because I think a lot of people do that. It's, it's, it's like, I'm in this relationship, I gotta defend myself. Right. And I need, that's, this is what my expectations nature. are about. Yeah. My expectations are a way to defend myself, to assert myself, to, to protect, protect myself yeah. so that yeah. I'm not taken advantage of. Um, but when you can come at it from a covenantal, we are one flesh mm-hmm. kind of perspective, I think it tears down a lot of that um, self-focus and mm-hmm. your expectations can become more of a community project where yeah. you're in agreement because you're realizing this is what is good for us together. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Wow. The idea of, you know, pursuing marriage as one, I think it leads straight into our next question about conflict resolution. Um, the question is just simply, can you talk about conflict resolution? How do you do it? So I know conflict resolution is a big topic, Huge. big conversation. We all bring our own insecurities, our own 
backgrounds into our marriages. There's so much to work through. Obviously, we're complex beings. But just for you guys in your yeah. marriage, if you wouldn't mind, how do you guys kind of pursue conflict resolution? I know you guys never argue, <laughs> uh, but if there was ever an argument, like how would you guys kind of go about theoretically? it? Yeah, yeah. Theoretically. 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 Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember when a couple, I think it was like five years ago, we were in Tahoe and um, we try as best as possible to like, if we're in the at a point in an argument where if we're arguing, we try to come to a resolution as much as possible. Right. I remember we were in Tahoe on vacation and we were having a disagreement in the car and the girls are in the back seat and um, we arrive at our destination. We we're going to the beach and then the girls are like, huh, they're, they're still arguing. They're in the front seat. You know, we're still, we're trying to be chill about our disagreement but finally we're like you can go everybody else was already out on the beach that we were meeting up with so we let them go and they met up with the friends and um we just sat in the car and it was probably like another 45 minutes till we <laughs> resolved the argument and I'm not saying it always goes down like that but I remember getting back on the beach and the girls were like oh finally you're done you guys are always doing that so I guess we go through seasons where we argue quite a bit we've, <laughs> got, a, we've got a lot of practice <laughs> yeah yeah practice um I think one of the best things that we ever kind of grasped a hold of and it might have been in premarital counseling it might have been soon after um in working towards conflict resolution was to have the principle in your mind of first corinthians 13 where it's talking about that the love chapter and it's talking about mm love believes all things and so I don't know if it was a book or premarital counseling but someone sort of dug into that a little bit for us and explained that the approach of really trying to believe the best about the other person as you face conflict so um, not trying to read into their motives trying to believe the best about their intentions trying to believe the best about um, the thing that you might be arguing about and their position on it just really trying to have a stance that I believe the best about you love believes all things I think mm -hmm. it doesn't solve conflicts but it takes the edge off of conflicts a lot I think mm -hmm. so that's one thing I kind of have a lot to say on this it's kind of a <laughs> I, I want to hear more from you you want to hear more well do you want to say anything yeah, about sure. that I'll, I'll jump in as well I think for me as a man, one of the things I've noticed over the years that has been a constant, huge help to me when we're in conflict is I have to chase down humility in that moment mm -hmm. because uh, I think a lot of guys are like this. Not every man is this way, but my go-to emotion is anger, you know, frustration. And so I get upset in that moment. I feel, you know, like attacked or it's not fair or, you know, I'm, I'm just frustrated. And a lot of those feelings of frustration or anger, they come from, I believe, a pride that says, I'm right. I deserve to be treated a certain way. I, uh this is not fair what I'm having to go through, mm. you know, how do you not understand me? How could you treat me like that? You know, all kinds of different emotions. And as long as that's the tone with which I'm trying to solve the conflict, I'm only adding fuel to the fire sure. of the conflict. I'm not helping anything along. And there I've just discovered like <laughs> you know I mean you've said to me plenty of times like your tone though like what you're the <laughs> like what you're saying okay but the tone sure. and what I've discovered is like I cannot for the life of me fake tone like it cannot happen it only comes you know the good tone only comes when I humble out mm. and my heart it just goes like you know what like I'm a sinner. I mess things up. I mm -hmm. say things incorrectly. I have selfish motives. I'm not right about 100% of what's happening here. I've sinned. I've blown it. I've done things wrong. And as 
as long as that humility can kind of stir up within me, then I feel I, what I've noticed over the years is we can get to the end of the conflict. Mm -hmm. But as long as that's present, I mean, there have even been plenty of times where we've had a disagreement or conflict or something. And we've just gotten to a point where not in anger where I'm like, we just got to pray, you know, but there comes a point where I say, Hey, can I lead you in a prayer right now? Cause I just know my heart's not in the right place. And I'll try to just pray a humble prayer of confession before God, ask for his forgiveness for the attitude I've been carrying. And it's just that always kind of unlocks whatever needs to happen next for us to figure out the conflict that we're in. But as long as that's present with me, it's like we can't get any mm. further. Yeah. Mm. So that's been a big one for me yeah. as a guy. I think another big one for me has been, um, I'm sure it could cross genders easily, but for me is uh, the desire to be understood more than the desire to understand you. Mm -hmm. So just persisting in communicating my position, persisting in trying to communicate it in a different way, all with the desire, the fighting to be understood. And when I have that position, it just shuts things down but if my position in a conflict is I mean it definitely takes humility but is okay I want to understand and it's so hard right but I want to I'm trying to understand how you feel hurt and that's especially hard if I feel like I'm the one that's frustrated or I'm the one that's bringing up the issue or I'm the one that feels wronged or something. Um, but with a desire, like I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to hear what you have to say about this. I want to try to, um, listen, um, to your position or your reasons with an open heart rather than I'm trying to get you to understand how I feel, where I'm coming from, why this happened. So I think uh, uh, it's really important and challenging for me to seek to understand rather than to be understood. Yeah. I think another thing for us that we've always had as a pillar of conflict resolution is an unwillingness to walk away, an unwillingness to yes. run away from conflict. Uh, you know, there there is, of course, that line of application that people make about the proverb and then the quotation of the proverb or the psalm in uh, Ephesians 4 about not letting the sun go down on your anger. There's an application out there where people say, you know, so therefore you've got to solve every conflict before uh, you go to bed at night or before sundown, if you're going to take it literally. Uh, but we've understood that there are times where there's a conflict that you do have to go to bed. Mm -hmm. You do have to say, all right, we're going to resume this tomorrow or at a time where we can actually pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. But we've also, I think our application of that concept has been, we are not going to get up and leave the room we're not going to let Warm something out. fester yeah. that we just are unwilling to talk right. about. We're not going to let some kind of bitterness or resentment that exists, that is there, be unheard or undealt with. We like to, we like to address it. We like yeah. to, I mean, not like, it's not Try. enjoyable, yeah. but we just know yeah. this is not good. We want to keep short accounts. I think that's been helpful. Yeah. Wow. And then I think... Um, you know, we were talking about this at the marriage conference, but um, Proverbs, the book of James, they're just full mm. of wise counsel about how to communicate. And I think that the way you communicate in conflict resolution has a lot to do with how well you are able to resolve conflict. And so the Proverbs about, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We have mm -hmm. lived that, we know that well, so we're working at gentle answers, you know, or be slow to speak and quick to hear. You know, all those mm -hmm. in James, um, all those concepts really sort of help in um, trying to resolve conflict, mm -hmm. good communication helpful communication, kind communication, gentle communication. Mm. And a major part of that for me has been a willingness to listen, you know, ask questions and then listen, you know, everybody's different in the way that they work out problems that they're going through. So I think for us, you know, like 
for, for me, I can tend to do a fair amount of thinking out loud, kind of synthesizing out loud. And then there are times in an argument where I'm saying things that it, that's not actually my full conclusion yet. And so I think for you, you've had to really kind of be willing to say like, Ooh, okay, it's hard for me. Yeah, he said that, but you know, that, but that might not be what he means. He's working through to a conclusion <laughs> where later I say, you know, I'm sorry that I said that earlier that actually, I don't think that way. This is the, the way that I really think for me, the challenge with you has been, I have to, uh, be willing to kind of you you just communicate differently than yeah. me. So I need to let you say really long sentences, talk for a really long time, kind of just work stuff out and track with it, you know? And a lot of as somebody who I mean I I communicate for my job, you know, yeah. for my yeah. living. So I, I like short sentences. You want me to be concise? I like to the point. I like Even though you're not, when you want to think out loud. Yeah, exactly. This feels unfair. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it doesn't go right when I'm like, yeah. so why didn't you just say boom, you know? Sure. But I have to, you know, actively listen and be willing to, you know, let you go through the process that I want to go through right. also as we're talking things out. Yeah. Asking clarifying questions. When you say this, is this what you mean? Mm -hmm. This is what I'm hearing when you say this. I mean, all of that, it feels so silly sometimes and basic, but it's really, really yeah. important. But certainly we just, you're never going to get anywhere in conflict resolution when there's anger that you're, you're just kind of coming from that position of, mm -hmm. I'm just mad at you. I'm not going to work on this. I'm upset at you. That's not conflict resolution. That's just conflict. Yeah. Right. Just creating more. Walking away is not resolution. No. Nope. It's just walking away. Yeah. 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 I love that talking about just engaging with each other through the conflict. Rewind the tape about 10, 15 minutes and re-listen to that again. That was really good. Can we get to the Bible real quick? Can we answer a Bible question? Yeah. yeah. Sure. From uh, the Song of Solomon. Mm. A little spicy. It's not too spicy of a passage, but um, somebody asked about Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. And I can read it real quick. It says, Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. This is the young women of Jerusalem speaking. Nate, can you kind of talk to us about mm -hmm. what that little portion of scripture means first are we talking about real foxes right here <laughs> a real vineyard real grapevines yeah so likely the the allegory that's uh being held out there is the idea that here's this young couple they have a marriage and she is the bride is comparing their relationship to this vineyard but the vineyard has a problem and the problem are these little foxes or rodents of some kind that are coming in and eating the grapes, digging up the vines and just thrashing about. And so she wants him to go out into the vineyard and set up traps or uh, poison or, you know, fencing to keep the foxes out of the vineyard. So she's basically saying, can you do what needs to be done to protect our relationship mm -hmm. and to deal with not the major issues, but the little issues that are just festering there in our relationship? And mm -hmm. so if somebody's asking that question here in this church, it might be from uh, having read me write about this or teach about this when I went through the Song of Solomon and kind of framing out the little foxes as those smaller issues in a marriage that left unchecked hmm. can create bigger problems down the road. They're not the yeah. major things, but they are things that need to be dealt with hmm. uh, in a marriage. So I think uh, some different areas that I might point out to would be things like your communication style, your roles and responsibilities inside the home. You know, if you don't talk about those things or deal with them they can turn into being a really big thing you know over time mm. um, 
the handling of finances, you know, who's going to do it, how are we going to do it? Again, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but a lot of couples end up divorcing over the way that they handled money and their lack of attention and detail in that area of their lives, agreement about uh, sex and, uh, you know, what the expectations are romantically with intimacy, um, just family challenges, dealing with a, an extended family member that's mm -hmm. creating problems in the relationship. These are just things that if you don't deal with them over, they might not be the biggest deal at the beginning, but over time, you know, when two people have different expectations in all of these different areas, they can lead to you know, real problems. So that, that's yeah. kind of the framing out, I think of I what it. they're asking with that mm -hmm. question. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. It might be just a little thing piled on top of another little thing piled on top of a lot of other little things that can create all kinds of little issues in relationships and in marriages that can really begin to become bitterness mm -hmm. and resentment right. and jealousy and anger. And it's so important to grab those things. Uh, right away, not let mm. them just do their thing and destroy, but mm -hmm. root them out, get rid of them. It's a small thing, small things that just keep progressing into something bigger. Like, yeah. like, uh, like true. when, a, like when a wife is jealous about her husband and his like ha having friends or something like that, mm. like over time, what that develops into, you know, sure. in the early stage, she's just like, it, all it looks like is just a little bit of frustration that he's got friends and she doesn't have friends. Right. Then it turns into some caustic words and challenging him mm -hmm. about the fact that he's going out, he gets to have a fun time with his friends, and she doesn't. Then that turns into manipulative words trying to keep him home then that turns into him becoming bitter at her mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. doing that or giving in to her and then all of a sudden they're just home all the time they have no relationships or friendships and she gets what she's asked for but then their relationship starts spiraling downward and they don't have people in their lives mm -hmm. to help them pull out of it because she's wanted the isolation rather than mm -hmm. encouraging those other relationships. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that a sure. small little thing can turn yeah. into a yeah. really big thing. You know, a one spouse thinks, well, it's okay to have a credit card that we're carrying mm -hmm. a little bit of debt on, you know, what's the big deal? Sure. You know, we'll make more money later in the future. The other spouse doesn't think that way. That, I mean, it's easy to see, think of how that could balloon into a major yeah. problem where yeah. the family is totally overextended financially. They've got to declare bankruptcy. There's a lack of trust in the relationship because of, you know, I don't know what you're spending or what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So so do you think, well, because I guess I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking there is a place in marriage for letting things go, for mm -hmm. not majoring yeah. on the minors for not making a big deal out of nothing so how do you know the difference between something that's like huh, I just need to let that go and something that's like that's a potential fox that's a potential mm. you know how because I think there yeah I think there is a place and a time for going like just let it go why are you making such a big deal out of mm. that just don't make such a fuss and just move on and mm. I don't know what would you say to that yeah I'm trying to think about how we've done that you know in our relationship and our marriage I think if it's sin yeah yeah you can't let sin go yeah no there's never been a go. time where we've thought or said like eh, it's okay I'll no. just <laughs> let that one go yeah uh, I think when it's like personality right. kind of based, you know, like this is just a part of them that Jesus is going to have to work through and work on. I think we've been way more gracious. I think when it affects the community, you know, the art, mm -hmm. the, the actual the house. family or the marriage, when it affects it a lot, you know, like some of these things would affect everybody or really impact the future. Uh, I think we're more willing to speak up. Yeah, I think it's a lot of that, like, well, what what's the potential damage that's right. going to be done yeah. by not addressing this? Yeah. 
And then maybe like an element of humility to go like, why does that bother me so much? Right. You know, like maybe this is a me problem (laughs) (laughs) that I just need to deal with just me and Jesus. This has nothing to do with that person. It's a me problem. It doesn't need to be talked about really. It doesn't need to be worked through. It's actually a me problem that that bothers me, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's hard to see sometimes, but, but I've always liked the concept. I've always liked that, that verse and that idea as a man, because I think as a guy, you kind of, you can fall into a trap of, you know, in the, in the dating years, it's like a, you're on a quest, you know, you're, you're trying to figure this out. Is this the person for me? You're trying to land them in a sense. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of get into this thing where it's like, okay, we got married and now I have other conquests in life. I've got career based things. I've got goals and all of that. And I've always loved that verse or that concept because she is saying to him, like, Hey, we have a relationship. (laughs) There's stuff that you need to fix, Mm. you know, not about, I don't think she's saying about you, but just stuff that threatens our, Mm. it needs perpetual work. So make that your ambition too. You know, that's and good. that's always been helpful to me as a husband because I I don't know how everybody is. I know for us, Christina is way more naturally inc- inclined to think about the quality of our relationship, the quality of our marriage, how things are going than I am. You know, I'm thinking about other things. And so it's always been a great exhortation to me mm-hmm. as a husband to say, hey, I got to think about that, too. And I I need to be thinking about the quality of our relationship and be aware of little things that I don't want to let fester or grow and deal with them as a man. I want to be active. Yeah. Yeah. Active marriage. I love that. Man, oh man, that was fun. I hope that you were blessed by that like I was. And I hope that you'll tune in for the next episode of this marriage Q&A. There are so many questions that came in that we had to split up the episode into two parts. So keep an eye on the feed for part two of the marriage Q&A. And we're praying for you as you pursue your spouse to engage in your marriage and to be on mission as disciples together for the purpose of honoring God and loving your neighbor. Church, be blessed. We'll see you next time.